Welcome to the second edition of the Mobile Dev Memo podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be joined uh, by a friend of mine named Andy Carvel. So Andy and I met probably four or five years ago uh, when I was living in Berlin. Um, He was working for SoundCloud. We met just sort of through the uh, tech ecosystem there, and then I organized an event um, called LTV Greater Than CPI, and we asked Andy to come to come speak at that. Um, and then we've just sort of stayed in touch uh, ever since. I think Andy is 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 very very well known um, in Europe. He's he's seen as kind of one of the biggest and most experienced experts on growth. He had worked at SoundCloud up until I think about six months ago. Um, as uh, on, the, on, their, on their growth team, and he just recently um, started a growth consultancy called Feature, that's uh, P-H-I-T-U-R-E, with another ex-SoundCloud employee, Moritz Dan. I'm really happy to have him on the podcast, and uh, thank you very much, Andy, for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So I just uh, introduced you. Maybe you could um, you know, introduce yourself in your own words. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, thanks for the Nice introduction, by the way. So, yeah, very some kind words there. Um, yeah, so uh, I've been working mobile my entire career. Actually, I started my career um, back in 1999, um, working for Nokia. Back when Nokia were, you know, sort of uh, market leaders in the, the mobile space, and and before most people had a mobile phone. Actually, I didn't own a mobile phone when I when I went to work there. Um, and I was making games for those guys. I, I was um, a developer. I, my background is computer science. Um, so I made a game called Space Impact there at Nokia for the, the 3310, which was like a, a title on yeah on on that phone, which which blew up and became like super popular phone. Um, the game was then ported to a few other devices, and I yeah I also worked on a few other games while I was there, and that's kind of like how I sort of started my career and started out in mobile. Um, and yeah, I've been working in mobile ever since, like for a long time um, doing game stuff, uh, then a little bit in the, the enterprise tools space. And then, yeah, like much, much later, I came to Berlin, I think about five years ago, um, to finish my, my MBA, I had to do a, a dissertation, and I, I did that here in Berlin um, with a company called SponsorPay, now called Fiber. Um, again, thinking I would sort of go back into that kind of game space, like uh, there were, you know, ad tech company that was working in, in games. So, yeah, and then I actually um, took a job at SoundCloud. They were looking for somebody to help them transition from uh, being like sort of very strong on web to, um, to to being stronger on mobile and basically to make that sort of move to being mobile first. Um, and, yeah, it seemed like a super exciting opportunity. Um, you know, I was partially in Berlin because of the music scene, uh, which is fantastic. Um yeah, I'm really into techno, and that's a, a big part of um, you know what what brought me to Berlin. So, the opportunity to work with a company that's doing a lot of stuff, like cool stuff in the music space, and and be involved in that from the, the tech side as well was was a really great opportunity. Um, and it was there that I I published the uh, the mobile growth stack, which is the the framework that I've sort of continued to develop and and publish updates to, and it's the the strategic framework that uh, that we use in our. Um, like engagements at feature. So feature um, being spelt deliberately, confusingly to make sure that nobody can pronounce it properly. Uh, but we pr- pronounce it P-H-I-T-U-R-E. Um, and yeah, we, we use the mobile growth stack there to, to really help companies to, um, to build a, a coherent uh, mobile growth strategy. And we, we can also help with sort of certain tactical elements like notifications, marketing automation, app store, optimi- app store, app store optimization, and, and things of that nature. 
I had you told me that story about um, developing the game for Nokia before. I, I, I don't think I knew that. Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I often like drop it into my intros at, at talks and things. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how I started out. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. And you were working for Nokia in the UK. Yeah, that's right. They had a R&D facility in a place called Southwood, which is in Farnborough, a little bit south of London. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I moved down there right after graduating. I was like 19 years old. It was um, it was a really, really like you know fortunate time. I, I was, was planning to move into the, the games industry. I was like really sure I wanted to make games, but I was had no real idea about mobile, and it wasn't really on anyone's radar. Even you know the, the only game on a mobile at that point was Snake. Um, but it was actually a really great opportunity because actually what I found was that I really enjoyed this kind of very resource constrained challenges of, of developing for these like early mobile devices with like an 84 by 48 display just 16k to fit all of your code and graphics and uh, and sound effects into and, and level data it's uh, it was an interesting optimization challenge yeah it's, it's funny that you uh, mentioned that because well f- for one thing I mean Nokia is a, obviously a Finnish company and um, a lot of the people that that kind of got started doing uh, gaming in Helsinki came out of Nokia and, and you know they they obviously understood sort of mobile and that that kind of um, use case and the form factor and, and uh, building games for that that device size really well. Having come from the you know the company that basically you know put a mobile phone in most people's pocket for the first time, um, but but also there uh, another big kind of feeder into the um, gaming ecosystem in Helsinki was this big I don't know what you even call it like a co- conference slash convention slash competition that they have every year i'm blanking on the name um but basically the idea is that you try to build these uh these visualizations um they look like old school screensaver screensavers oh, like, like a demo um yeah the almost, demo scene like, like assembly or something like yeah, that. yeah assembly that's it and so um like uh, i don't know some huge percentage of people that um you know are, are kind of like the uh you know the the elders of the helsinki gaming ecosystem came out of that um, at least on the engineering side, where they had to, you know, do some some sort of crazy like visualization with like four kilobytes yeah. of code. Um, yeah, those those demo coders are, are crazy. They're they're like you know they are they are the best coders for sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's not I I I, uh, I was I got asked to 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 uh, MC the award ceremony a couple years ago because um, I used to uh, stand up in Helsinki and and so I I got to see the whole thing um, and it was this massive production. I mean they rented out the Hartwall Arena, which is like the big uh, arena that, you know, massive touring acts play in, like, you know, Justin Bieber played uh, there when he came to Helsinki. And it's just this massive arena filled with people. And, you know, the the award ceremony was kind of like the Oscars. I mean, they they would have, you know, um, a category and then they'd have like maybe five uh, finalists or whatever, and they'd show all the, the different visualizations and, um you know, and yeah. they'd have, they'd announce the winners, and they'd, they'd come up on this huge stage, and we'd give them this trophy and stuff. It was, anyway, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's funny that you bring that up because I do think that that kind of um, you know research, uh, resource constraint constrained environment uh, produced um, you know that the the a lot of the expertise that uh, that then became sort of um, that you know led to the genesis of the of the mobile mobile gaming uh, ecosystem. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, it definitely forces you to be creative when you you know under those kind of uh, constraints. Um, 
so what I wanted to talk to you today about was uh, was sort of growth on mobile and, and what I'm seeing kind of um, in terms of the the sort of labor pool. Uh, and we kind of talked about this just before the call, uh, just before the, the podcast started. But I, I, I see now that there are a, a lot of people that are doing what, what we're doing, right? So like we, we both, you know, kind of set up our own shops um, around the same time, I think, you sort of like slowly transitioned out of SoundCloud, if I remember correctly, to, to going full-time at Feature. Yeah, that's right. I dropped down to a couple of days a week at SoundCloud over the summer last year. Um, Moritz, uh, my, my partner and partner at Feature, um, he was um, he, he, he already had like set up the, the agency and um, had been running it you know, on, on his own since January. And then I, I've been working with him just sort of on holiday days and things like that, sort of like, you know, st- with the plan to join, but, uh, but going a bit slower, yeah. So I sort of, I, I went sort of, um, slowly in doing two days a week, uh, at SoundCloud for a while. Yeah. So the demand for, for people like, like ourselves, you know, that have a really good understanding, like a broad understanding of, of mobile and including the technology, the ecosystem, all of the tools out there, and then being able to sort of like do like practical applied technical marketing or, you know, or technical product work, um, that's data driven. Um, you're right. There's a big intersection of, of skills and, and, and experience needed to do that well. I think what what happened that made me kind of start questioning whether this is like a structural thing is is I read uh, kind of two articles recently about mm-hmm. uh, like kind of more mainstream um, like uh, you know articles about mobile UA right like they weren't in these really technical publications they were in like big mainstream publications and one of them. And so, you know, you see that, you see those headlines and you think, okay, the jig is up. You know, I've been, I've been marginalized. My job is no longer, it's, it's commodity, uh, you know, so (laughs) better, you know, downsize the apartment. But, and (laughs) you read these and and I read one of them and it was like, you know, 13 tips to, to, you know, from the top, the world's top mobile marketers about getting more users for your app. And like the tips were just complete not like it was just total nonsense. I mean, like <laughs> I, I remember thinking like, what the, f- you know, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like none of it was. One of the tips was to have a great desktop website. Uh, <laughs> the other was to make sure that your users tell their friends about. And so it was stuff that you know was totally uh, you know so watered down and generic that you could have written that about getting users to your website or getting users to your whatever uh you know it was it was obvious yeah. right yeah it's selling more used car i mean like and, and so but this was in like this is like this it was in it was in forbes right so I mean, this is this big mainstream publication and so you on on one hand you think when that happens like your role is being commodified right uh but then when you read that you you do realize that like okay well there you know clearly these these people don't know what they're talking about. There's still probably a recognized need for my expertise, right? And then the other article I read was just, you know, it was just a journalist talking about mobile UA. But, I mean, in the way that you would talk about, like, a really technical subject um, that you knew nothing about, like, so, you know, basically not, you know, kind of exploring any idea, you know, rhetorically, just, just kind of presenting presenting words, right? Cause it, it was, it was obvious from reading the thing that, that the woman d- doesn't know anything about really mobile UA. It's, it was just a, a topic that she got commissioned to write about. Gotcha. Uh, the, the kind of 
probably the kind of article that I would write if I was going to try to talk about quantum physics. Exactly. Exactly. You'd kind of just try to rephrase Wikipedia articles, but not rephrase them so much that you would risk actually like, you know, uh, damaging the meeting. So so I think like that's, so so those, those things kind of like triggered this idea, but I mean, it's sort of been, it had been simmering, simmering for a while. You know, Mm -hmm. another, another just phenomenon that, that makes me question like, okay, is, is it really different with, is it really different with, with mobile growth and uh, with mobile marketing? It's just like how dramatically difficult it is to find, to, to hire people, not not because you know you get into these bidding wars or whatever, um, mm-hmm. but simply because these people don't exist. I mean, like, uh, whenever you do a, a a search, right? Like, you know, I, I help companies you know recruit. Mm-hmm. It's a global search. It's not like okay, well, we'll limit the search to London or, or wherever. I mean, you literally are searching the entire planet to find somebody with experience. Um, I think, and part of that, I, I think that partly is is kind of uh, just 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 hiring a person. I think that is. That is just a short-term imbalance. I think part part of the thing there is like, you know, I'll talk to companies and and they they want to pay people that do mobile marketing, you know, half or you know maybe two thirds of what engineers make, and and I'm like, no, it's the salary, the the rates are basically the same. I think. Yeah, um, I mean, this is a really good point, right? I mean, I also see that, right? Um, I I was approached by a, a company the other day here in Berlin. Um, they were looking to you know to fill a bunch of roles. One of them was um, was a mobile growth role. Um, and you know they they actually published the salaries on the the jobs page, which I, I thought was at least good from a transparency point of view. But they, I mean the salaries were super low. Um, you know they're like I I won't go into like details of the figures because it's you know it's obviously it's specific to Berlin anyway. But um, you know like uh, I I completely agree with your point that you know I think generally speaking a lot of companies are undervaluing these roles, um, particularly when you consider that actually you know this is really the cornerstone of of the business, right? Like if you if you can achieve like really good growth numbers, then your business is really on fire and it's going to do well. Um, and so from that perspective, it, you know, it should be valuable to the, to a company. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, there's also a little bit of like, um, a lack of understanding of, of what the job entails. I think, you know, you, you people slap up like a job wreck for, you know, mobile UA manager or whatever, um, not really understanding like, okay, well th- this, you know, cause a lot of the people that I know in, in UA were in finance. Right. And so like, if you're basically trying to lure those people away, you, you have to make it, you know, at, at least, at least in the same kind of ballpark in terms of compensation. Right. And, cause the, yeah. those are the type of people that thrive, like just highly numerate, like analytical driven competitive, uh, you know, people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why you have a lot of people working in UA, you know, who are, you know, not those people and, you know, who are, you know, frankly, like, you know, quite, um, quite average in terms of their, their skill set and they're getting very, you know, average results and, or they're basically just outsourcing the whole thing to, to, to an agency to, to go and spend the money for them because they, they really don't have a really good handle on, on what to do and how to do it. And, and companies are settling for those because they're the kind of people that they're attracting with with the, the, the kind of compensation they're offering. I see so, I see so many of those people. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'll probably meet two or three of those people a month. Like, you know, I'll get people that kind of cold email me and, uh, you know, they'll be in that kind of position. Like, Hey, I run you, I run UA or I run growth at such and such app. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they either want me to, they either, they either don't understand that I'm not an agency. And so they want me to do like a bake off with their existing agency to try to save money. Or mm-hmm. they, or they want to actually outsource like the strategic side of of growth at their company to me, 
which basically just you know makes him like an administrator. Like they're outsourcing all of the uh, media buying to an agency, and then they're outsourcing like uh, you know the strategy development to me. And so then they're just sort of like you know <laughs> email professional emailer. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll see that a lot where there's just one person at the company that does it and, and, uh, and, and all they do is kind of just outsource stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've also seen this a few times. But, but I think another issue is, and you know, I wrote about this in an article, um, why, why, uh, user acquisition teams fail, um, is, you know, there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation with, with doing mobile marketing, right? So like if you have your app and you know, you, you want to get a marketer in place, like before you launch it, uh, so you can have some sort of strategy behind the launch, and, and also so you can kind of like execute the launch. Um, but you can't hire them too early because then they're bored; they don't have anything to do. Uh, and so, like, it's really difficult to time that. And then, you know, if the launch doesn't stick, uh, you know, you and you kind of have to like iterate a bunch more times, and the person's sitting around with like not that much to do, and so you mm-hmm. you end up never. It, it can be difficult to kind of get the traction you need within the team to, to, to scale it up. Right. So like to, to, to actually accumulate team members cause people leave and then you're basically just replacing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that happen a lot. Um, but I think that, so just, just hiring people, I don't think that's kind of indicative of like the structural difference between, uh, in the skill sets or in the, in the sort of, um, you know, paradigms that makes it, that'll make it tough to, to, to build teams. Cause I mean, there are companies that do build teams, but I think it's, it's, it's also that just the approach, right? So like to get an MVP out, and up and running uh, is, you know, I think it's it's probably more. Uh, there's more of a bar to clear, and it's more onerous than than with like a desktop web a website. Because um, yeah, there's like a fully formed thing. Like with a website, I mean, you can push code. I mean, I you know, building a web app right now, I push code every single day. I push it, you know, multiple mm. times a day. Um, yeah, and plus, you don't like with web, like you know, there's no approval process. You don't have to get through like Apple approval, whatever. Like you know, you can just publish. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it, but I mean, you know, whether, whether or not it is the case, I mean, I guess remains to be seen, but I, I, it is really interesting now that like, you just see so many people kind of, you know, opting out of the in-house, uh, career path altogether and hanging up a shingle, um, and doing, you know, exactly what we're doing, which, you know, the more that happens, I mean, then, you know, then it definitely will be tough to actually really hire people with experience, you know, because it's, you know, if if it becomes, if that, if that becomes a kind of uh, prevailing trend of like, well, I know I can uh, always be sort of like fully utilized if I'm doing my own thing because I've just got clients, right. Who always need me. So I'm never Mm -hmm. kind of sitting around twiddling thumbs. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. But I mean, it's it's not for everyone, right. As well. I mean, it's like, I I think there are some people who um, particularly, I I think, you know, what, what I see is there, there are definitely people who are you know, less comfortable with risk. I mean, you could argue, I mean, you made a pretty good case there about, you know, that it's actually not that risky if you have good skills and you're, you know, like, uh, you know, once you've, you've built up some kind of client base, like you're, you're probably going to be pretty well utilized. And we've just established that there is a lot of demand in the market. So you could argue it's not that risky anyway. But I, I still think that there are, there are some people who would consider it too risky compared to, you know, the kind of comfort and and dependability of um, a full-time job you know which particularly if you're supporting a family or, or whatever um, you know is, is maybe just like you know the more attractive option still for for a lot of people yeah no that's definitely true although I do kind of see this industry as being so volatile I mean you're never that far away potentially from a layoff 
So I wanted to kind of switch gears quickly um, and talk about the the Berlin startup ecosystem because I think it is a really interesting um, space. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you know, with it, so I'm you know based in London and and kind of uh, you get sick of hearing about Brexit, but from the tech kind of perspective, there does seem to be this idea that um, you know this this will cause you know if you're you're living in uh, a small town in Europe and you have ambitions to do a startup, you kind of know that you either move to London or Berlin. I mean, I, that's, that's the general sense I get. And yep. I'm wondering now if the, if Brexit will mean, well, it mean, you know, you move to Berlin, there's no really even considering London. What do you think? Are you seeing anything like that kind of on the ground? Uh, I haven't seen that yet. I think it's probably still a bit early. Um, I mean, yeah, so I'm, I'm a Brit myself. Like uh, my accent is a bit, <laughs> a bit generic these days, but I'm, I'm from the UK. So yeah, I'm also sort of paying quite close attention to this whole Brexit thing. And uh, yeah, I'm, I won't go into like all of the, my, my personal opinions on that, but I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely going to change a lot of things, but I think, you know, the devil is in the detail to some extent. And I think it's, you know, most people, including myself are kind of waiting and seeing a little bit to see exactly how they've you know, what is negotiated and, and how much changes in practice. Um, you know, if I had to guess, I would say actually not that much is going to change in terms of, you know, I expect that I'll still be allowed to live and work in Berlin despite being a, a British citizen after Brexit. But I don't know. You know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, but it's, I think it's a bit too early to tell exactly like what it's going to do. I don't think it's going to be anything good for the UK, um, but I'm not sure if it's going to be disastrous either. Um, at least from, you know, from a, you know, sourcing talent point of view, whatever. Uh, I'm not sure that Berlin is suddenly going to replace London as, um, as the startup, you know, hub. How do you feel about the kind of, uh, general level of like gravitas of Berlin startups? Cause I mean, when I was living there, so I was there, uh, 2013 to 2015, I think. So I was, I, I feel like I, I, I got there at that kind of like incipient, moment of like global status as a startup city right so i wasn't yeah i wasn't there so early that like you know i was you know it was this you know the, the kind of uh, uh <clears throat> formation of any sort of startup ecosystem but i was there when it, it kind of became known it became known as like the startup city and i i was kind of shocked when i got there at like how flimsy um some of the startups were they just seemed kind of uh, trivial. Like there was a lot of stuff that, you know, it was just some kind of like, you know, vague, uh, flight of, you know, consumer fancy, uh, in the form of like an app or a website, but there, there was clearly no kind of business model there. And it was like one of those things, well, it's like, oh, well, you know, if we get enough smart people working on it, we'll figure something out. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it did seem more like, you know, just a way to dress up like a party lifestyle, um, you know, in, in, you know, as, as something that kind of looks serious and, and, you know, you could, you could be proud to, to tell your high school friends, uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, you wouldn't be ashamed, uh, yeah. you know, to tell your parents, right. You know, like rather than saying I moved to Berlin to like be a bohemian, you say, oh, I, I moved to Berlin and right. started a startup. Like, do you, but I, 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 I mean, I've been removed for, for two plus years now. So I'm just wondering, yeah, if I, mean, okay. I mean, first, first of all, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've noticed that as well. I don't think it's actually specific to Berlin. Um, I think this is more like a cultural trend where it's suddenly now, you know, it's cool to have a tech startup. And also you don't need to actually be that techie anymore to have a tech startup, you know, like it used to be 
you know, um, you know, without showing my age too much, it, it used to be a case that to have, you know, a, a computer company, you know, so something doing something in tech, you know, then you were like a Bill Gates or, you know, like some super nerd basically. Right. And you needed to be really wicked smart and you needed to be a real nerd about it. Uh, and it, you know, frankly, it wasn't really that fashionable, even though you did see these people getting super rich. I think now it's, it's very fashionable and cool to be, you know, associated with this whole startup culture and that attracts, I think, all sorts of people, including people that don't necessarily have a great idea or any real business acumen or any great product. Um, and I don't think that's specific to Berlin. I think maybe what makes it more like more possible in Berlin is that it's a super cheap city. You can live here and work here and get office space here, um, you know, very cheaply. So it means the barrier to having a bullshit startup is just lower than it is in London or in New York or somewhere else. And I mean, you do see these bullshit startups elsewhere as well. Uh, I mean, you see them in San Francisco as well, but, um, uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's so much easier and cheaper to do one in, in Berlin, for example. And, and probably there, there are other places where you could do it, but, but Berlin also has this party lifestyle. So that's, that's kind of my take on that. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that hundred percent. I think you're totally right. It's just, it's just the cost of living, uh, that, that makes that, uh, you know, a possibility for people because yeah, but, it, a Sorry. Oh, sorry to cut you off there, Eric. Um, yeah, I mean, what I what I do see just just to sort of carry on to, to the second part of your point. I mean, yeah, you you were here, um, and you and me, you know, we met. I was at SoundCloud. You were at Wooga, which were both kind of poster child, poster children, I guess, of the the Berlin startup scene. You know, sort of held up as like big success stories, actually, in a way. And people were sort of talking about, you know, these 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 are a couple of the companies that really like, you know, can show like how Berlin can build a, you know a super valuable company and get like, you know, a huge exit. And actually what's, what's ironic is like neither of those companies have had an exit yet. Um, and you know, that actually sort of, I'd say it's fair to say that probably both of those companies are, are not talked about so favorably anymore. You know, that they, they seem to have maybe missed their, their chance to get their superstar exit. Um, and they're maybe struggling a little bit now in, in the climate. Um, and they're no longer so much talked about as these, these poster children at the Berlin startup scene. But, but I do see like a you know, new generation of like really interesting companies. And I'd actually say like probably the success story, although they, they also haven't exited yet, but the real success story for me in the Berlin scene would be Adjust, I think. I mean, Adjust really um, you know, grew to a, a really nice size and, and really like good level of dominance in the, the mobile attribution space. Um, but, but there are some other you know, fun and, and decent startups out there in Berlin, um, Blinkist, who do the... Um, Books condensed into like short 15-minute reads. That's a really interesting platform, I think. 8Fit, I think, are doing really nice stuff. Um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I, I think Berlin, to me, is, is kind of an ad tech town. I, I, I see it. I mean, I, I feel like if you, if you kind of think about the kind of uh, necessary ingredients to um, a startup ecosystem, it's generally uh, some sort of like condensation of expertise in a field. And it's people that have made money in that field who can kind of seed companies. And mm. Berlin has that for ad tech for sure. They have that for like kind of maybe for mobile commerce. Um, but for ad tech, that they just have all of those ingredients. And I think you do see a lot of really interesting ad tech stuff in Berlin. I mean, you see Adjust, uh, obviously. Uh, Remerge, uh, they do. Um, retargeting. Retargeting. Uh, you've got AdSquare. Uh, you've got... Um, uh, Fiber. Fiber, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you do have a lot of really, uh, you've got uh, the whole HitFox group. So, you, you have a lot of uh, interesting ad tech stuff in Berlin. I guess the question is, the consumer internet stuff, um, how is, you know, 
how are those that group of companies? How are they kind of uh, evolving, or, or is is it just the, the the sort of like lifestyle appeal of the city allows for that stuff to flourish? But um, but yeah, you're right. I think the the ad tech stuff there, there there's definitely like a very very serious ad tech ecosystem in Berlin of companies that will do well. I think it's 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 almost uh, inevitable that some of these companies will will do really well. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much for, for joining me on the podcast. Would you, uh, would you like to share with listeners maybe where they can see you next or how they can reach you? So uh, feature P-H-I-T-U-R-E.com. Yep, that's right. Um, feature.com, um, that's, that's where you can come and, and find, uh, get help with uh, mobile growth strategy stuff if that's what you're up, um, you know, interested in. Um, I also have a, a blog, uh, mobilegrowthstack.com. Um, that's where myself and Moritz and, and some guest posters um, publish stuff on you know on range of growth topics. In fact, Eric, I would love you to write a, a guest post for us on, on mobilegrowthstack.com someday. Um, if, you, if you're up for that, let me know. Sure thing. Sure. What about uh, Twitter? Uh, Twitter, um, yeah. So I'm Twitter Andy underscore Carvel, um, which is a super long Twitter handle. I, I didn't really understand Twitter when I uh, when I got that uh, that handle. That's uh, C A R V E L L um, Andy underscore. Um, and then we also have growth underscore stack, which is our sort of um, like that's that's the more sort of company one. Great. So thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Um, yeah. Really pleasure to be on. And um, yeah. Great talking to you as always. Yep. Bye.